Hello and welcome in to the mashup, your number one source for sports gaming and everything in between. I'm your host, Jake Patterson, and let's get right into it. It's going to be a weird couple weeks just because, you know, we have no CDL and I haven't been plugged into a whole lot of other stuff this season, like the NBA or the LCS, but I will give my opinion nonetheless. But first, because I didn't do it as a separate episode yet again, we are going to uh, we're going to talk about the Halo series on Paramount Plus. Episode three just recently aired last Thursday, and uh, we're on the cusp of episode four, which I think is uh, when we will take our first real leap in story progression. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, episode three had a significant increase in quality over one and two. Like, by a lot. So, episode starts out on this, on a, on a UEG colony planet. Uh, I think it was called Oban. Yeah, it was called Oban. And the subtitles described it as a tier two salvage world. And it, it looked like a giant freaking junkyard. It, it was just a junkyard. And living there seemed to be not very fun. Because even the kids were just stuck in what appeared to be a labor camp. And we find out later... Uh, this is where McKee, the Covey girl, grew up. And uh, one of her one of her friends was was reading her this book. Uh, very cute scene, honestly, because it's two little kids who are like clearly developing feelings for each other despite the fact that they're twelve. Like clearly, like. Had the Covenant not kidnapped her as a child, she probably would have moved off this world as an adult at, with this guy and married him. Like, had that Covenant attack that killed her friend and got her kidnapped by the Covenant not happened, she probably would have found a way to get the heck off this shithole of a planet and probably would have married this guy. Like, that's... It's pretty clear that's what in let you know what let's call that in the main Halo canon like the canon of the games that's just a hundred percent what happened to this girl she is an unimportant civilian who lives on some random colony world because in the mainline Halo canon any human can make can interact with Forerunner artifacts. That's, that's kind of the whole reason the Human Covenant War happened. Obviously, in the Silver Timeline, you've got some differences. It makes both... It, it gives a human face to the villains, which is nice, instead of just these CGI creatures. And it makes Chief more important. Like, Forerunner, Forerunner Constructs and both the Librarian and the Didact, who are alive in a way call him the reclaimer so clear and like 
they don't call other humans that. They only call Chief the Reclaimer. So clearly he's important in the main timeline too. But in, in the show timeline, the two of them are even more important. And like, he can... And obviously they established in episode two that Chief can do even more with Forerunner artifacts than McKee can. But she's obviously scared of him because he's a threat to her position. At least... Well, she doesn't seem intimidated by him at all because she said, I will bring you the keystone and the demon's head. Which, you know, sounds intimidating, but then you remember she's like 5'8". And, um, has, and sure, has like an army at her command, but... We've seen Chief take on entire Covenant platoons like it's nothing. And when he gets to her, just he he's seven foot two. This man is significantly taller than her. <laughs> he is a full foot and a half taller than her, maybe more. But you see, you see her origins when she got picked up by the Covenant, how they realized she was important because they the, those two elites had that weird scanner thing that was pinging on her. And then we kind of cut back to the main story back on Reach with Halsey, Chief, Halsey's, Halsey's weird bald clone that they, they just straight up murder. Like, Halsey straight up kills herself, essentially, to create the Cortana AI. And that scene was, um, that scene was pretty freaking graphic. Giving her the numbing agent and then sticking that needle in her eye and just, like, downloading her brain and then dipping the body and dunking the body in a full tank of acid to, uh, to get rid of the evidence, essentially, that, um, that Halsey didn't, did in fact flash clone herself, which, you know, established in episode two, that's illegal. Even though I'm pretty sure that's what Halsey did for the Spartan program. We don't know if that's how she did it in the show yet, but that's a pretty well-established piece of the lore of the Spartan program is that Halsey and Keys kidnapped children and replaced them with clones who died within a few months. Just so their parents would think, oh, John just died or Kelly just died. Like, that's a, that is a well-established piece of Halo canon. <laughs> that Halsey freaking sucks. But how can you, how can you top Halsey being a terrible person? You give her an assistant who's a total freaking perv. Like Aiden, spelled A-D-U-N for some reason. Like, I, I don't get what happened to human naming conventions because you've got Catherine, John. Catherine Halsey, John 117. Miranda Keys, Jacob Keys. But then you've also got Aiden, spelled A-D-U-N, Soren Kessler. 
I, I can't say anything about Quan because I think that is an actual like modern Korean name. Because her her and her father were speaking Korean in the first episode, so that's that is her ancestry. I think Quan is an actual like modern day Korean name. But like, what the heck happened to human naming conventions that we still have <laughs> names like Catherine, Jacob, and Miranda? But you also have people named Aiden, spelled A-D-U-N. Enough making fun of the guy's name, because he's a freaking perv. Like, he kissed the Halsey clone on the lips while she was unconscious. Or no, even worse, she was, like, stun-locked. She was awake, fully conscious of what ha- was happening. Just incapable of moving. So, um, that's cool. I don't like this guy either. And in that same moment, you get the Cortana AI being implanted directly into Chief's head, which is also truly horrifying, because that, that, that changes things significantly. Because in the games, she was always in the back of his helmet, which is linked to his brain and, like, his neural network and all that other stuff. But this time she was implanted directly into the lower cortex of his brain. She can talk directly into his head. (coughs) Like, sure, when she was in his helmet, she had access to... The UNSC comms, the Covenant Battle.net. The weapon has access to the Banished Battle.net in Infinite through his helmet. Like, they have a lot of access. But again, they're not plugged directly into his brain. That freaks me out a little bit. But at first, Chief absolutely hates that Cortana's in his head. They are butting heads constantly. She's just trying to help him. And I have to say, like, despite the fact that she looks kind of like the actress who plays Halsey, which makes sense. Like, I get why she would look like Halsey. Um, Why did you not just cast Jen Taylor as Halsey? I get you wanted a woman who kind of looks like your Miranda, and she does. Because the actress playing Miranda looks nothing like Captain Key's. Or she doesn't look much like him. So I get you kind you wanted an actress who could pass for Miranda's mother. Because you had that in the games. But why is Halsey not Jen Taylor? I'm glad Cortana is. Don't get me wrong. And she has the sass and the sarcasm of game Cortana. The design might be a little weird. The design weirds me out a little bit, but I got used to her design over the course of the episode. Like, honestly, she looks better than the Halo 5 Cortana design and the Halo 1 Cortana design, both of which kind of sucked. Like, I can't hold too much against the Halo Combat Evolved Cortana design because that game is over 20 years old now. 
But the Halo 5 Cortana design was trash. The, the Halo 5 Cortana design was absolutely awful. And I'm glad they improved her design in 2, in two through 4. Like, significantly improved her design in 2 and then used that the rest of the way. I would put this Cortana design above 5 and above 1. 1 is bottom, then you get 5, then you get show. Then at the very top is Halo 2 Anniversary because... Halo 2's anniversary, Halo 2 anniversary graphics, especially in the cutscenes, are absolutely incredible. Like, Halo 2 anniversary cutscenes are beautiful. But it's a, uh, like, Halo 2 anniversary cutscenes are gorgeous. Like, they look so good. Anyway, enough gushing about Halo 2 anniversary. Uh, you get a little bit of Chief and Cortana interacting. And then you get Chief deciding to take that weird hormone pellet at the base of his spine out that Soren told him about. Which, thank God he took that thing out. Because the second he did, he started acting more like Chief. That's the big thing. And, like, I love Steve Downs. I... Steve Downs will always be the Master Chief to me. But he's not as tall as Pablo Shire. <laughs> Pablo Shire. But I'm glad he I'm glad he took that thing out, and I hope they never make him put it back. Like ever. Do not put that thing back. Let Master Chief keep being Master Chief. Because even though his emotions were always repressed in the games. He still had them. Like, even, even in Infinite, at his most, like, I'm too old for this shit. Like, at his absolute most, I am too old for this shit, that man is still showing emotions when the other Spartans die. Spoiler alert for Halo Infinite's campaign. It's It's been out for five months at this point. I feel like I can say this. When you find the dead bodies of the other Spartans, like, Chief definitely, even, if, even though it's in first person, like, Chief definitely shows emotion in those moments. Like, I, I felt emotional watching those scenes and I barely knew those characters. I know they have books and everything about them that I, that I kind of want to dive into. Just because they seem cool in the audio logs and stuff I've picked up. But like chief does show emotion in the games. He just doesn't show it often. And we got a little bit more of, we got a little bit more of sarcastic chief, not as much because they're not leaning as heavily into that in the show as they do in the games, which is fine. Give me just enough of, of sarcastic chief. Like witty chief with the with the one liners like like him and Cortana building a rapport, you started to get a little bit of their banter. Not to the level of Halo Two yet, where you're getting like like how much time was left. You don't want to know. Or uh, of course the fa- the one of the one of the most famous lines. I know what you're thinking. It's crazy. So, stay behind. 
fortunately for us both, I like crazy. Like that, we're not to that level yet. I hope we get that later in season one and into season two. Because they shouldn't have that rapport yet. They should not have the rapport they had in Halo 2 yet. And anyone asking for that, like, when she first gets forcibly implanted in his head as something he didn't want and was told, like, yeah, this is the only way you can go back into the field where you belong and you want to be. Like, they should not have the rapport they had in Halo 2 and Halo 3. They they shouldn't. Now, by the end of this season and in into season two, they absolutely have to. Because we're going to see the ring. We're going to see the first Halo ring before the end of this season. Hopefully we see it soon. Hopefully we see it in like episode five or six. I don't think we'll see it next week just based on where the episode ended. But after, after Chief takes the pellet out, you have him exploring reach in what I assume is new Alexandria. It sure looked like new Alexandria. That's, you know, one of the biggest cities on the entire planet. So I feel like that was new Alexandria. And he was going around, like he was riding on public transit. He was looking at couples like all over each other on the train, which Again, a lot of that this episode. A lot of, like, really good interactions between people who clearly care about each other, even though they are throwaway characters. But I'm assuming that city was New Alexandria or something similar. Just another, like, giant Reach city. Because in Halo lore, Reach is a second Earth. Reach is a second Earth in, like, the outer column. It's important. That's why the fall of Reach is such a big deal. It's a population center, it is a military center, and it is a production center. But we can see Chief exploring like some civilian areas of Reach. Uh, he listens to those two guys playing music. Um, he almost he almost pet the dog. I really wish he would have pet that dog. That would have been so funny. <laughs> because you never see re you never see normal earth animals in the Halo games. You never see just dogs chilling. I I wanted to see Chief interact with that dog so bad. Not just like look at him and, and almost pet him. But after that, you get the scene where Chief runs into Chief runs into the storage area for that uh, Forerunner artifact. And he gets an even bigger flashback that's even more clear where he found it. He found a bigger one when he was growing up. And he drew it and his dad was like, oh, hell no, we're not doing this. On essentially a colony world where uh, both of his birth parents are dead. Uh, we don't know where... Apparently he was adopted. Uh, we don't know if his adoptive parents are still alive. But his birth parents got... Um, well, um, Cortana explained there was a virus outbreak 
on that planet known as Eridanus 2. And uh, the UNSC slash UEG has proven itself to be a totalitarian dictatorship. What do you think happened? They got... They, they got, um... They got disappeared. Because the UNSC and the UEG both really suck. And are good guys 100% by default. They are good guys out of necessity. In any other story, the UEG are 110% the villains. Like, if you take the Covenant out of this storyline, and this is just a story of humanity versus humanity, 99.9% of people are on the side of the Rebels. The UNSC sucks. But we get to see we get to see a little bit of Quan on uh on rubble uh living with living with Soren's family and just hating the fact that Venture is ruining Madrigal. Which again, shocker. When you see that actor playing a character, you know he's going to be a douchebag. So, and that, that's a little, you don't get much of Quan Ha's story in this episode. It's just her and Soren. Uh, she tries to hotwire one of his ships and she eventually convinces him, Hey, I'm rich with all this drug money. Take me back to Madrigal and it's yours, whether I live or die. Like, it's not your fight. You get paid as long as you take me home. And Soren, the the bastion of chaotic neutrality that he is, says, All right, fine, I'll take you to Magical. Your suicide mission, not mine. Now, will he probably end up helping her? Yes. Because if there is one guy who hates the UNSC more than anyone else in this show, it's Soren. So he's pro like... I think deep down he is a good person, so he's probably going to get involved. But maybe not. I think he will, but he could also just remain the absolute bastion of chaotic neutrality. Like, he won't have that Han Solo moment at the end of A New Hope where he comes in and saves Luke from, like, three different TIE fighters all at once. Like, yeah, he, instead of just taking his money and running, he came back and helped Luke. I don't know if Soren's going to have a moment like that. He might just stay the Han Solo at the beginning of episode four, where he is just in it for the money and to save his own ass. But Quan's heading back home to Madrigal, if if Soren does end up fighting with her, um, those UNSC guys on Madrigal are screwed because Quan is just a normal human and she scares me. You have a partial Spartan who has survived on his own 
for like 15 years and has run an entire city basically on an asteroid and has helped people hide from the UNSC. I wouldn't want to mess with this dude because he's got guns and a skills and a grudge. And the the episode and the other big story piece, you get McKee uh, breaking onto a UNSC frigate, the Gladius, uh, pretending to be a prisoner of the Covenant. And for not speaking it for a good 10 years, her English was pretty good. Her English was pretty convincing. Uh, she board she boards the Gladius, uh, gets welcomed on board by the captain, and then immediately just sends an entire horde of Lagola worms into the ship and just kills the entire crew. One, um, how do you make Lagola worms more scary by taking them out of the armor? Like. I thought the only way to make Lagolo worms more scary was to take them out of the hunters and put them in scarabs. Because that's what scarabs are. They are bigger hunters. At least with the retcon in Halo 3, which I'm glad they made because the Halo 2 scarabs sucked. Halo 3 scarabs, much better. Gave them AI. Uh, again, this is 15-year-old information, but... I thought that was the only way to make the Golo scary. No, they're scary on their own. Without their armor and their big fuel rod cannon or controlling a giant freaking tank with an even bigger fuel rod cannon. Like, scarabs are terrifying. Hunters are terrifying. How are the base worm forms also terrifying? Like, in the trailer, when I first saw them, I thought they were flood. That's how scary they looked. I thought they were flood. No, they're Lagola worms. But she had to head back because as is UNSC protocol, which makes sense. Uh, the Gladius just, once there was any sign it was about to be captured, just purged all of its databanks. So now she's just gonna she's just gonna head to Magical and work her way from there, which thank God she didn't find Reach. Like, we don't need winter contingency going off this early in the series. Like, thank God she's not going to Reach. Besides, Halo, the the story of the fall of Reach is its own thing. Uh we'll probably get it at the end of the season. Or, like, at the beginning of Season 2, depending on how they decide to uh, shake out the timeline. Like, have it be Retribution for the destruction of the Halo Ring, and then kick off Season 2 with the Fall of Reach. And if we get just, like, we don't have to see them. I just want a passing reference to Noble Team. Like, I want a, I want a passing reference to Noble Team in that at some point during the run of this show, because a good chunk of it has taken place on Reach so far. I want a passing reference to Noble Team. 
Or I just want to see him. Or I want to see Buck. I want to see Buck as an ODST. You know Nathan Fillion would be 100% down to do it. Just have him in the background. You're like, wait, is that Nathan Fillion? Yeah, that's Nathan Fillion. That's Buck. Okay. But overall, um, and of course you had you had some stuff going down uh, back on Reach with Miranda examining the artifact, uh, checking those those comms from the Gladius where McKee was calling back to high charity, and it was all scrambled so they couldn't tell it was her. She was like, "Oh, it sounds like an elite." And I love this line too. Grunts are chatty, just not on comms. I think that's hilarious because anyone who has played the Halo games know knows the grunts have the best lines in the games. Especially once they get scared. Like once you kill the elites and the grunts just run run for cover from you, they spout out some of the funniest stuff. Or if they get lucky and kill you too. Like they have they have some great lines. But I'm I'm very hyped for episode four. I feel like I feel like the season has kind of had a weird curve so far where episode one was pretty good, season two was pretty meh. Season episode three has been the best one so far. And I think we're only going to keep going up from here because we're actually going to start progressing plot. Like other major characters are going to cross paths again. And I, I think Miranda is going to actually create some form of translation for the Sanghealy language pretty soon. So we can get... um we can get Arbiter Keith David because uh, I'm not giving up on that. I really want Arbiter in this freaking show. I, I want the elite rebellion. I want the great schism and I want Arbiter. I want Arbiter so bad <laughs> because he's such a freaking cool character. And Keith David's age does not matter because he would be playing a CGI character. Like he's still got the voice. Let him be the Arbiter again. You got Jen Taylor to do Cortana. Let And if you don't have Steve Downs playing Chief, which you can't because he had to take his helmet off and everything, at least get Keith David to play the Arbiter because he's a CGI character. But one other thing I definitely noticed in this episode, it was, it was there in the first two episodes too, but the internal politics of the UNSC... Reminds me very much of how new Star Wars canon material portrays the Empire. Which I both love because I feel like that is lore accurate, but it's also really concerning. They're like, oh yeah, the UNSC truly, truly sucks. Like, thank God we haven't had to deal with Oni yet. Like, it's just been the regular UNSC. We haven't had to deal with the Office of Naval Intelligence just yet. Because, shockingly, they're headquartered on Earth in Boston, of all places. You would think, I don't know, they'd be in New York or D.C. Because it seems like clearly that 
the U.S. just kind of took over the world in the Halo timeline because uh, everyone primarily speaks English and important stuff is all based in the U.S. Like Sergeant Johnson's from Chicago. Oni's offices are in Boston. Like, it feels like the U.S. just kind of took over everything. <laughs> but it's... Uh, it's a little, it's very reminiscent of the Empire. Like, go read Lost Stars. Watch some of the Empire-focused episodes of Rebels. Where they show, like, the heavy, heavy internal politics of the Empire. All the backstabbing. It's very much a thing. And the UNSC has a lot of that going, too. Like, um, I, I keep blanking on her name, but the, uh, I believe her rank is, yeah, her rank's Admiral. The, uh, the Admiral playing, uh, Miranda and Halsey off of each other, like trying to turn them against each other constantly, mostly trying to turn keys against her mother. Um, it is very Empire. And again, not necessarily, like, I both am a huge fan because I think that's lore accurate, but it also concerns me like, oh, we've kind of been the bad guys this whole time. It's just the Covenant are worse. Oh. Okay. But like I said, I am, uh, I am very hyped for episode four. Uh, if you're listening to this, the day it comes out, we'll see it tomorrow. But that's what I got for the Halo series. Up next, we'll uh, get into some LCS. It's coming up next here on the Mashup. Hey, welcome back to the Mashup. Let's uh, let's dive into the LCS, shall we? Let's uh, let's dive on into Summoner's Rift for the first time in like three months. And we are staring at the middle portion. Of the LCS spring spit, sp spring spit, spring split. Why, why must that be such a tongue twister? Playoffs. A uh, couple teams. We have four teams still alive. Uh, that that number will only go down to three after this weekend. Because the loser of 100 Thieves Team Liquid will still be alive. And they will play the winner of EG and Cloud9. Uh, which, which game is first? I believe, yeah, 100 Thieves Liquid is first. That is on Saturday afternoon, and EG Cloud9 is on Sunday afternoon. Uh, you can tell esports do not give a fuck about Easter. Uh, baseball doesn't either, because I'm pretty sure baseball is going to have game on games on Sunday. Uh, let's see. Will baseball have games on Sunday? April 17th. I don't want the calendar. I just want to go to April 17th. Yeah, there will be games on Easter Sunday. So uh, I was about to call out esports, but baseball has games too, because baseball, baseball doesn't give a fuck. Uh, 100 Thieves taking on Team Liquid in the upper bracket finals, and EG taking on Cloud9 in lower bracket round two. Yes, lower bracket two. Winner of that moves on. They'll play... They'll play uh, loser of Hunter Thieves and Liquid 
I would assume next Saturday. Yeah, next Saturday, uh, next Saturday, not this coming, not uh, this coming Saturday, the. Uh, not this coming Saturday, the 16th, but next Saturday, the 23rd. And I'm guessing this will all be in Houston. And then, yeah, the winner of that will play the winner of 100 Thieves and Team Liquid on Sunday again. Probably in, and that will definitely be in Houston, which I'm glad. And we had LCS fans back at the studio for the entirety of the playoffs. And that's been really cool. Um, I love a good call and response chant. You had the live evil after EG's win over FlyQuest. That was on Sunday, which that was pretty cool. Uh, Green wall with the drums at the optic major is still better. Green drum, drum wall, green drum, drum. Like, like that's, it's hard to top a chant where you've got a drum involved and everyone's really freaking loud. Like you got way louder chants at the last two COD majors, just because I think riot is still being incredibly count, incredibly California about everything. So hopefully, hopefully we'll get some actual noise in Houston next weekend, because that would be nice. Get get some real noise for for LCS LCS Spring Playoffs. But looking at looking at the four teams left, like, can we be honest with ourselves here, League of Legends fans of of North America? Whoever wins on Saturday is probably going to MSI. And even then, one of these two teams is going to MSI, even if they technically lose on, even if they lose on Saturday, they could still, they, both of them still beat whoever wins out of EG and Cloud9, which if you want my prediction is Cloud9. Like, I, I know they got, I know they got stomped by 100 Thieves in the first round, but Cloud9 are still Cloud9. They're still a very good team. They're one of the best teams in NA and always have been. It's hard to argue with Legacy. I think they beat EG. And we get a... And no matter what, it's going to be 100... It's going to be 100 Thieves Liquid Final. I can almost guarantee it. Like, I think... If I were to make a pick, I think Liquid wins this Saturday. And I think Liquid probably wins the whole thing because they're just overall better than 100 Thieves. Like, I think they're just straight up better than 100 Thieves. Even as a fan of 100 Thieves, Liquid are better than them. Like, Liquid are Liquid are just downright better than them this year. They finished first place in the LCS. 100 Thieves finished third. And sure, they stomped Cloud9, and Liquid had to go to 5 with EG. I just think Liquid is a much tougher matchup for 100 Thieves than C9 are. Now, in that scenario, Losers Final, uh, next Saturday, the 23rd, is 100 Thieves versus Cloud9. 
which means hundred thieves probably also win that. They probably win that one in four instead of instead of clean sweeping because Cloud Nine will have adjusted a little bit, and then we just get a rematch of winners finals in grand finals in front of a much bigger crowd, and winner goes to MSI. Which again, let's be honest with ourselves here, that is probably going to be Team Liquid. Like, either way, one of those two teams is going to MSI. I don't think EG and Cloud9 have much of a chance. It's going to be, like, our our reps as North America at MSI will either, they will go in dueling colors, either navy blue and white or red and black. The oldest color rivalry in sports. At least in American sports. Look it up. <laughs> Harvard-Yale. It is one of the oldest rivalries in North American sports. And what are their color schemes? We're actually navy blue and white versus red and white. But 100 Thieves have white in their color scheme too. <laughs> but it's still navy blue versus red. The, the oldest... The oldest rivalry in North American sports continues to North American esports, at least in terms of color. Because Liquid is nothing like Yale and 100 Thieves is nothing like Harvard. And that's a good thing. I don't think any esports teams, unless they represent Yale or Harvard, should be anything like Yale and Harvard. Yeah, can you imagine Ivy League esports? I feel like that would just be the most pretentious thing ever. Like, that would be worse than Ivy League lacrosse. Ivy League esports would probably suck. Because they would trash talk, but they would, they would do that, they would do that like rich kid trash talk. And it would bother me. <laughs> like, I don't think anything could be more tilting. Like, what Harvard did to, uh, I think it was... When, when Harvard won a tournament game, I think it was like back in 2012 or 2013. I want to say 2013. They were like, they were like pointing to their forehead saying, oh, we're kicking your ass and we're smarter than you. Can you imagine how tilting that would be if they did that to you in COD or League of Legends or Valorant? Ugh, that'd be awful. But yeah, those are... Those are my two picks for this weekend. I could be horribly off base because I have watched very little of the LCS this season. Like very little. I've, I've focused more on COD and Halo as my backlog of episodes from the last few months will show. But I think, uh, I I'm feeling pretty confident in my liquid cloud nine predictions for this weekend. We'll see if I'm horribly wrong next week. And if I'm horribly wrong, I will come back and eat that on the show. But I think I, I think my predictions are pretty solid here, where Liquid are going to go straight to next Sunday, the 24th, and 100 Thieves will have a meeting with Cloud9 next Saturday, the 23rd. Could be totally off base, but I feel like that's where we're going because North American League of Legends is incredibly predictable. But what do you guys think? People who've watched more of the LCS in Spring Split than I have. Uh what do you guys think? What are we uh what are we looking at here? Who do you think who do you think wins? Who do you think's going to MSI? 
I feel like most fans would probably agree with my predictions, but hey, maybe not. Let me know on Twitter. Link will be in the show description. Come join the discussion on the Discord. Link will also be in the show description. But that's what I got for LCS. Up next, we'll uh, get into a little bit of NBA and then uh, hit some hit some other gaming stuff and wrap up the show from there. But it's all coming up next here on The Mashup. It's time to do something else I haven't done in a few months. Talk about the NBA. So, NBA season is almost over. I've barely talked about it this season. I have kind of only been slightly plugged in through basically what the Sixers are doing. And because of that, since we're staring down the playoffs, I am going to start off with the Philadelphia 76ers and their 4-5 matchup in the Eastern Conference with the Toronto Raptors. I have zero faith. I have literally zero faith in this team to do anything. I have absolutely zero faith in their ability to do anything to the Raptors. I know they're five-point favorites in game one. I don't really care. Because there are a few things working against them. One, Matisse Thibel, one of our best defensive players, is not going to be allowed to play in games three, four, and if necessary, six. Because they are in Canada, and he is not allowed to enter the country. Because again, Canada sucks. I mean, I know the U.S. has technically the same requirements, but... Honestly, I like making fun of Canada, so I will continue to do so. Because fuck Canada. I, I don't actually believe that. I have friends who are... <laughs> I don't actually believe that. I just like making fun of Canada because Justin Trudeau sucks. And I actually feel bad for Canadians who have to deal with him as their prime minister. But that is as far as I'm going to go into international politics in this show because I barely care about American politics. Why would I care about Canadian? But just as a person, I can acknowledge Justin Trudeau sucks. And his father is probably actually Fidel Castro. Not uh, the people we all believe to be his father, who is a much better Canadian prime minister. But yeah, I have I have zero faith in the Sixers' ability to win this series. I think Embiid will do his thing. But um, Glenn Rivers, because I'm not calling him Doc anymore. He doesn't deserve that. He Because there is only one person who, who gets the... Actually, there are two people in Philadelphia. There are two people in Philadelphia who get the name either Doc or Doctor. One of them is Roy Holiday. The other is Julius Irving. Those are the only two Docs in Philadelphia sports I even kind of recognize. It's the two of them. And I'm not even a Phillies fan. But by all accounts, Roy Holiday was a very nice guy and... You'd have to be blind to not acknowledge that he was a very good pitcher. So there are only two docs slash doctors in Philadelphia sports that I acknowledge. 
Again, Doc Roy Holiday and Dr. J. Julius Irving. Those are the only two docs in Philly. Glenn Rivers is a fucking moron. Plain and simple. He is a terrible coach, and I hope Josh Harris grows a pair of balls and fires him. Because this guy absolutely sucks. Like, last game of the last game of the regular season against the Pistons. Last game of the regular season against the Pistons. Uh, God, I'm blanking on the guy's name. Paul Reed. B-Ball Paul, as, as the Sixers know him. Had an absolutely incredible game against Detroit where he dropped 25 points on 12 of 14 shooting. In 20 minutes, alongside six rebounds and two assists. Most Sixers fans know this man as B-Ball Paul. We acknowledge that he is not on the same level as our starters. But he is a good spark plug off the bench and good to fill in for the guys who were... Good to fill in for the guys who were injured and didn't play in this game. Think about it this way. Danny Green scored no points in 19 minutes, and he was a starter in that game. Tobias Harris only had six. Matisse Thibel only had seven. Maxi dropped 25. That's fair. And obviously, Harden and Embiid did not play in that game because you don't want to you don't want to mess these guys up going into the playoffs in a game against the Pistons that you're probably going to win anyway. But the man dropped 25 points in 20 minutes off the bench. And he said, oh, we're not having a Paul Reed victory tour. We're trying to win a championship. You're really going to insult your guy who had one of, who had a very good game and helped you win a game that shouldn't have been close even without your two best players because your coaching sucks? Yeah, if you can't tell, I really don't like this guy and I hope he gets fired after the season. Like, that's the thing. I'm used to Philadelphia teams that I like wasting prime years of their star athletes. The Flyers did it to Giroux for a solid 10 years. The Flyers did it to Giroux. I, I had to sit back and watch. I hope. I hope we only have to blow one more year of Embiid's prime. Like he's probably going to win, win MVP this year and we will get nothing from it. The team and the fan base will get absolutely nothing from this other than being able to chant MVP at Joel Embiid when the season starts next year. Or later this year in October. Like, and if Glenn Rivers is still our head coach, the same thing will happen next year. I hope, I honestly hope, I honestly hope the Sixers get swept by Toronto. I, I'm putting that out there. I want to get swept by Toronto because that will that will make clueless owner number two in Philadelphia, Josh Harris, sit up and take notice and fire his idiot head coach because it's well documented that Josh Harris doesn't give a fuck about sports. He just likes money. And I will be on this train until it hopefully happens Comcast and Josh Harris both should sell the Flyers and Sixers back to the Snyder family because 
Let me, let me double check this. Let me make sure. Does Ed Snyder have living children? I believe he does. Like, are, are any of his children still alive? I would assume they are. Let's see. Where are his uh, personal life? Yeah, fi- he ha- he has four children and fifteen grandchildren at the at the time he died. So this man has living family. Let's just see are are they still alive and what are they doing? What what's what's Jay up to? Because I assume he's the oldest. Okay. Jay Snyder, who served as the Flyers president from 1983 to 1994. All right. What's, uh, what, what are his other kids up to? It doesn't seem like his, it doesn't seem like his other kids are doing all that much, but Jay, who I'm, I'm just spitballing is probably the oldest has been in charge of team operations before through the mid nineties. That means he was responsible for the Legion of doom. Let him run the team again. Sell Comcast, sell the team Comcast and Josh Harris, Harris Blitzer sports and entertainment. Both of you as entities should sell your teams back to the Snyder family in full, or at least enough to give them operational control and let them run things because both teams were a whole lot better with this, with members of the Snyder family in charge. So both of you need to sell back to the Snyder family and one, and they would actually have the balls to fire Glenn rivers. And of course the other issue between the moron coach, best defensive player, not going to be able to play in three of the games. Well, two of the games guaranteed, a third if necessary. James Harden. James Harden has a uh, tendency of falling apart in the playoffs. I hope he doesn't. I, I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong about all of this. But then at the same time, that means... That means our idiot coach probably gets a contract extension instead of getting fired like he deserves. But with the Sixers' ability to blow 15-point leads this year, thanks to his coaching, they're not... They might beat the Raptors. But, oh no, that means they... That means they have to play the Bucks next. More than likely. Or they would have to play the Bucks at some point either in the second round or in the Eastern Conference semifinals, depending on how the other series shake out. Whenever the Sixers play the Bucs, they're screwed. Because I've seen what the Bucs can do to this Sixers team. It ain't pretty. And speaking of the Bucs, why the hell are people disrespecting them? They're still the Bucs. They may only be the third seed this year, but they are still the Milwaukee Bucks because they were doing that uh, Miami Heat thing during the Big Three era where they just kind of stopped caring at certain, like they would take certain games off during the regular season because they know it didn't, 
they knew it didn't really matter. Like they were still going to be a high seed in the Eastern Conference. They were still probably going to go to at least the Eastern Conference Finals. And more than likely even farther because the Eastern Conference sucks. They, they get the Bulls in the first round. They're going to dominate the Chicago Bulls. Just being honest here. They are going to absolutely, completely, and utterly dominate the Chicago Bulls. That's probably another Eastern Conference sweep. As is the ones and twos versus whoever comes out of those play-in games, because I don't have faith in the Brooklyn Nets to do anything. I, I really don't, because, you know, Kyrie has shown no sign of the fact that he respects his teammates or his coach. And... I mean, the Hawks and the Hornets. They're they're just the Hawks and the Hornets. They won't be able to do anything to the Celtics. Or the Heat. Like, if they somehow... Like, actually, they won't be able to get the 7 seed. They could only get the 8. Because whoever wins between the Nets and the Cavs, they get the 7 seed. And then, yeah, the... This this format is very strange. Like this format is incredibly strange, but it also makes sense. Like the seven and eight are playing each other for the seven, and then the eight, nine, and ten are all playing some cup, and then the losers of those seven eight games are playing the nine and the ten, or playing some combination of the nine and ten for the eight seed. So it gives. It gives the teams who would have qualified for the playoffs in a normal format an extra chance to actually get into the playoffs. But I don't really see the Hornets, the Hawks, the Spurs, or the Pelicans getting into their respective conference playoffs. Like, if the if the Clippers beat the Timberwolves, which is a possibility, the Timberwolves still beat the Spurs or the Pelicans. Same thing with, let's be honest, the Cavs against the the Hawks and the Hornets. The Hawks maybe have a better chance, but heck, I think the Cavaliers might beat the Nets if they have a good game. But I feel like NBA playoffs, as they tend to do, aren't going to be truly good until the second round outside of like one series. And I personally think that one series will either be They'll both be in the West. It's either Warriors Nuggets or Mavericks Jazz. It'll probably be Warriors Nuggets because Luka's got a calf strain and that's going to really hurt the Mavericks. And I feel like the Jazz could actually take that. Like, I 100% feel like the Jazz could actually, could actually handle that. Just... Just throwing that out there because Clarkson's a freak. Like, Clarkson's nasty. So is Donovan Mitchell. Like, obvious. Like, Donovan Mitchell is still currently injured, but, like, they don't play. What, what is their game? Like, they don't play until Saturday. He's gonna be fine. Like, if you think. Donovan Mitchell's not playing in that game. And Jazz versus Mavs, if Luka is healthy, will also be really fun. I don't have much faith in the Eastern Conference Series 
to be any kind of entertaining. Because I think the one and the two stomp whoever comes out of the play-ins. Uh, the Bucks are going to destroy the Bulls. Sixers-Raptors might be okay. Mostly because the Sixers are going to choke in at least one of those games. Knowing them probably more. Even though they are on paper the better team. If you, if you can't tell, I'm really mad at their overall performance this season. Despite the fact that they're a four seed in the Eastern Conference. An Eastern Conference that has gotten significantly better over the past couple years than it was when I was in high school. But I think I think the better first-round matchups are going to come out of the Western Conference. And it's Warriors, Nuggets, and Mavericks, Jazz. Assuming Luka is healthy. If Luka can't go, Jazz probably win it in five. And... Warriors Nuggets becomes the much more interesting series. But hey, much like with the LCS, I could be totally off base on that. Uh, what do you guys think? Same thing. Let me know on Twitter. Let me know on Discord. Um, but that is what I got for the NBA. I will, I will hopefully have much more stable predictions next week when I have uh, watched a couple playoff games. And we'll see where we go from there next week. But uh, that's what I got for the NBA. Up next, we'll get into some other general gaming stuff that, that I felt the need to talk about because it's big stories. We'll, uh, we'll get into that up next here on The Mashup. All right, let's just get into some other general gaming-related things that have happened in the past couple days, past week, however you want to put it. Because there's some stuff to talk about. Uh, on Monday, we got a trailer for Kingdom Hearts 4. Which, uh, I did not finish KH3. Much like I have not finished any of the Kingdom Hearts games. Because uh, they're really long. And a lot of the boss fights are really freaking cheap. Looking at you, Jafar, in Kingdom Hearts 2. Or you weird, weird Alice in Wonderland thing in both Kingdom Hearts 1 and 358 over 2. God, Kingdom Hearts names are, are weird. Because you have 1, 2, 3, 4. But in between 1 and 2, you have Chain of Memories. And 358 over 2 days. In between two and three, you have Dream Drop Distance. Before one, you have uh, Birth by Sleep. And all of these weird, random generator-ass names sound like side titles, yet they are parts of the main continuity of the storyline. Like, they are essential pieces of the storyline, all of them. I personally think Chain of Memories sucked because it was on an underpowered system that uh, did not allow you to truly get the Kingdom Hearts experience. Everything was card-based, and it was really bad. But we saw the trailer for KH4. Sora's just in, like, what appears to be modern-day Tokyo. And a big-ass pure heartless spawns or appears in the middle of the city, and he summons his Keyblade to go fight it, and the animation looks awesome. But 
And I had Simple and Clean on loop the entire day. Because Simple and Clean is a freaking banger and don't let anyone else tell you otherwise. Heck, it's probably going to be the, uh, it's probably going to be the end song for this episode. Actually, it 100% will be. You'll hear it in maybe about a minute and a half, depending on how long it takes to talk about this other stuff. But uh, some eagle-eyed fans noticed something in the trailer, and I definitely agree with them once they pointed it out. I don't know what else it could be. Some eagle-eyed fans noticed what looked like an ATST foot on terrain that appeared very similar to the forest moon of Endor. Like, very similar. Otherwise known as, you know... Redwood National Park in California. <laughs> Cause I isn't that where they shot isn't that where they shot Endor? I know they I know they shot Yavin in Guatemala, but didn't they Where did they shoot Endor? Yeah, Redwood State Park. <laughs> yeah, Redwood State Park in California. Grizzly Creek Redwood State Park. Shocker. I mean, it makes sense. Bunch of big trees everywhere for a planet on a pla- on a on a moon. Sorry, that has been exclusively inhabited by a Stone Age society of small teddy bears for what I would assume are centuries. So yeah, it makes sense that the trees are freaking massive and everywhere. But. That's go look at the trailer and those screenshots. The screenshots are super fuzzy and JPEGed, but ATST feet are pretty distinct. Like Google them. The the shape of an ATST's foot is pretty freaking distinct. Like they have they have that rounded they have that rounded base. Connected to very skinny legs. Like. it It's sure what it looked like. Like that was an ATST foot. On the forest mood of Endor. Which means we are finally getting Star Wars in Kingdom Hearts. Which also might mean we get Marvel in Kingdom Hearts. Which is equally cool. Actually. Hmm. I don't know what a Marvel-themed Keyblade would look like. Would it look like a piece of Stark tech? Would it look like... Uh, would it look like it's made out of vibranium? That'd be pretty cool. Would it look like Cap Shield? It depends on what the storyline in a potential Marvel universe would be. But if I don't get a cool lightsaber Keyblade, I don't want it. <laughs> like, give me a lightsaber Keyblade and I will buy this game. Like, all you have to do is confirm a Star Wars world. And I'm buying this game. And because I know, at some point or another, Sora will get a lightsaber keyblade. Which will look freaking awesome. And then all the lightsaber replicas, all the lightsaber makers online, some of whom I think have actually made keyblades already, will, uh, will be rolling in money from all the Kingdom Hearts fans who are buying cool Keyblade lightsabers. But, 
I, I think it's an ETST foot. I think we're going to get a Star Wars world. And I'm very hyped for how they are going to try to force Heartless into Star Wars. Because sometimes it's pretty seamless. Other times, it's not. Like, at all. And hopefully it doesn't look like the absolutely god-awful Pirates of the Caribbean world from Kingdom Hearts 2. Where everyone's features were completely flat. They sounded nothing like the real actors. Like, the guy who was supposed to be playing Will sounded nothing like Orlando Bloom. Jack sounded nothing like Johnny Depp. Again, I haven't played KH3. It looked like the Pirates of the Caribbean world graphics were significantly improved in KH3. And maybe they actually did get Johnny Depp to do it. And Kira Knightley and Orlando Bloom. But I don't know. I, I did not play very far into KH3 at all. <laughs> but uh, let's... Uh, what do you guys think? Are we getting Star Wars in Kingdom Hearts? Finally? Are we going to get Marvel 2 and we just haven't seen it in the trailer yet? But let's uh, let, let's end the show where we began with Halo. This time, the video game version. Let's just say I'm hyped for Season 2. Because it seems like 343 took a lot of our complaints about the Season 1 Battle Pass into account. Because, for one... If you buy the Battle Pass and you play it to completion, which I think most people are going to do, you'll get all your credits back. So you can just buy the Season 3 Battle Pass and just keep doing that every season until the end of Halo Infinite's life cycle. And the Lone Wolf-themed cosmetics look really freaking cool. The Elite Skull shoulder? Like, come on. How badass would you feel running around with a dead elite skull strapped to your arm? And using it as armor. That's freaking cool. And just the, the overall design of the Lone Wolves, like the overall aesthetic is really cool. We got a little taste of it in the Tac Ops event in Season 1, which I liked. Like, that definitely had a lot more of the vibe of Season 2 rather than Season 1, which is just callbacks to older designs, namely Reach. But the new armor cores all look really good. Um, we're getting a couple new game modes. We're getting Attrition back as a permanent game mode, which I really like. We're getting, like, a gun game type mode, which is free-for-all, big team, or big lobby, 12. Uh, getting a new big team map uh, called Breaker. It looks pretty cool. It looks very 343 with just a, like a lot of crap everywhere. But it seems like aesthetically, I like the look of it. And I feel like it would be very fun to play on. The, the little bit we saw of Catalyst looks much better. It looks like very overgrown, very forerunner. And I feel like those are always... I feel like... More often than not, stuff that is Forerunner in design end up being very good multiplayer maps. Because a lot of Forerunner architecture is based off of hidden tunnels. Uh, hidden tunnels and big open areas. Because a lot of Forerunner stuff is ruins. Like, a lot of Forerunner stuff feels like it goes from small spaces to big spaces. And it does it very naturally. Like, more than Covenant and UNSC stuff does. 
And we haven't had a... Like, other than the big team maps, most of the ranked play maps are all very human-themed. Like, Livefire is a very human aesthetic map. Aquarius is is clearly UNSC. Like, Livefire and UNSC are are straight-up UNSC installations. Uh, Bizarre and Streets are both on Earth. Like, Bizarre and Streets are both in Mombasa. And then Behemoth, you got that that Forerunner aesthetic. It's just way too big. And I feel like all of the big team maps all kind of have more of a Forerunner aesthetic. So it'll be nice to get that Forerunner aesthetic in a map that is actually suitable for ranked play. Because that's what I've been doing a lot of lately. I've done a little bit of big team just to like wind down from those really sweaty ranked sessions. But... We'll see. And I saw it on Twitter, Certain Affinity, who you may not know that name, but you know stuff they've made. They have worked with, they have worked with, let me, let me get this right. Let me go to their, their website and get all of this right, because they have actually made some, some very good stuff. Let me go back and find it. Here we go. Uh, Certain Affinity's hiring a bunch of new devs to collab with 343. Like, senior VFX artist, environment artist, senior material artist, director of animation, lead technical artist, senior lighting artist, senior concept artist, technical animator, senior animator, tech artist, material artist, environment artist, game director, uh, lead metagame system design, lead narrative design. That's interesting. Um... And a couple, and a bunch of programming jobs, gameplay engineer, gameplay programmer, uh, lead engineer, senior AI engineer. Okay, these these might not all be, um, these might not all be stuff they've done, but let's see. Halo franchise, 15 plus years. Uh, talking about Halo, we're all... Here it is. Max Hoberman and others who founded Certain Affinity were all originally part of Bungie and brought a depth of knowledge from their day at that studio. Certain Affinity's contributions to this illustrious chapter of video game history date all the way back to Halo 2, meaning they have worked, they have collabed with Bungie. So I'm guessing Max Hoberman and the other founders had a pretty friendly split with Bungie if they were willing to collab with them. Uh, let's see. In 2007, Microsoft asked CA to develop, uh, multiplayer maps for the Halo 2 Blastacular map packs. These maps, Tombstone and Desolation, were remakes of fan favorites Hang'em High and Derelict from Combat Evolved. Which, again, good. Uh, 2009, they helped on Halo Waypoint. In 2011, they helped 343 and Saber Interactive work on on combat evolved anniversary certain affinity took on the development of seven co-op and pvp maps remaking some of the most popular maps from the original halo that same year certain affinity also contributed to the blockbuster halo reach with the defiant map pack this project called for three firefight and pvp multiplayer maps from full concept to feature complete so they designed them from the ground up Featuring art elements inspired by the Halo novels Halo Reached was 
developed side-by-side -side with Halo CE Anniversary and showcased certain Affinity's capabilities as a multi-project studio. Meaning, they have worked with Bungie. And a lot of them worked at Bungie. Meaning they know their Halo. And the Defiant map pack, if I recall, in Halo Reach was also pretty freaking good. So if they're coming on to start to take some of the pressure off of 343 on map design, because if there's one thing I can knock 343 on, it's their map design is kind of shit compared to Bungie's. Because think about some of the best 343 maps. The, the most, the 343 maps that I usually like the most are remakes of Bungie maps. Pit Stop. Pit Stop is a big one from Halo 4. It's a very good map. But it's a remake of the Pit from Halo 3. Uh, Hemorrhage in Halo 2 Anniversary. Technically 343 built that. But really, that's just a remake of a remake. It's just Blood Gulch with new vehicles. And I think it's a little bit bigger. It's Blood Gulch with more vehicles, and I think it's a little bit bigger. That's the only difference. Well, it's Halo 2 Hemorrhage, which is just Blood Gulch, made a little bit bigger. But it's, um... And Blood Gulch is an iconic map, mostly thanks to Red vs. Blue. It's also a very good map. But it's, uh, it's, it's mostly iconic thanks to Red vs. Blue. But still, um, I'd love a Blood Gulch remake. I'd love a Blood Gulch remake in Infinite. Please. Give me a true Blood Gulch remake. It's such a good map. And it's it's very fun for big team battle with just like Warthogs, Warthogs, Wasps, Banshees. Heck, let me put a freaking Saber in there and Forge. And like, if that's actually a thing, if certain affinity is coming on to make multiplayer maps to let 343 focus on making Forge, sign me the frick up. Because I have said... Multiple times on this show, Halo doesn't need a BR, it needs fucking Forge. Like, give me... Put Forge in this game and you would be shocked how many players come back. Put Forge in Halo Infinite and give me like... And put a Forge World type map in there. Boom. Heck, just port Forge World over from Master Chief Collection and update the graphics a little bit. Port Forge World... Port uh, Foundry and Port uh, Sandbox. Port all three of them straight over from MCC into Halo Infinite and let people have fun. So you know you get the three different aesthetics. You get you get the sand aesthetic on Sandbox. You get the more UNSC style on Foundry, and you get the very heavy Forerunner style on Forge. Just port those three maps directly into Halo Infinite with updated graphics and go from there and see how much fun people have with Halo Infinite again. Calling it right now. But that's what I got for the show today. Hope you all enjoyed. Hope you all enjoy the rest of the week. And uh, talk to you guys next Wednesday. See you